and we're going okay we're going here ladies and gentlemen we've been uh we've been away for a day any day away from these microphones is a tough one I, if it were up to me i'd be talking uh doing a podcast every single day um, i'm happy to be back today we have two very special guests the first one's already been here jordan Coyle, uh and the second one we have brett Himmelman. Brett is a Canadian sprint canoeer and he actually just got back from Europe representing Canada at the Worlds. He also plays for St. Mary's University Lacrosse. Jordan is his coach in both canoeing and lacrosse. He coached Brett at Masqua here in Halifax. Also he coached uh, also he coached Brett at St. Mary's University on the lacrosse team. So it's going to be a good perspective, a little uh, coaching, a little player, both sides of the story. It's going to be a great podcast. Sit tight. Here we go. And we're going. We're live. Oh, no, no, we're not. Oh, yeah, we are. No, we're not. <laughs> Give me a sec here. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. It's okay if there's technical difficulties during it. No, yeah, we're good because it makes it more natural. <laughs> I hate it's always an awkward starting a podcast because I don't know what to say. It's like, hey, how are you doing? But this is good. We're just kind of sliding into the intro. Good icebreaker, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> technical difficulties is a great icebreaker. Well put, Brett. So, Brett, welcome, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks it's, for coming, uh, Coil. Definitely happy to be here. Happy to be back. Coil hey. um, surprised the podcast today with Powerades. So, this, I guess you could say this episode is brought to you by Powerade or Coil. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I don't want to be the only one running to the bathroom during the middle of the podcast and disrupting it. I mean, <laughs> the sun got me, man. I've been drinking water all day. I'm definitely going to have to get up and piss, but it's all good. Yeah, what a beautiful day out today. Yeah, definitely a nice day to be on the water. That's exactly. For sure. You got to lower, you, you lower the mic, Brett. Yeah. Just okay, lower it like right Perfect. There. That's good there. There. You good? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. You're good there. Anyway, so what's up, man? I heard you're, you're quite the competitor. Uh you just got back from Europe. Uh, yeah, I just got canoeing. back uh, racing from World Cups. Uh, it was, How was my it? first time over to Europe, actually. So it was definitely cool seeing whole new world, like uh, two new countries over the pond for the first time. Uh, definitely cool experience. Uh, Seged and uh, Duisburg are like the two, like they're the meccas of paddling. That's where every paddler wants to go. So racing those two places internationally the first time is really cool yeah um lining up against guys you see in the olympics on tv like guys you watch on youtube try to replicate their strokes like lining up against them it was definitely something else i still am wow about it <laughs> wow so how old are you i'm 20 years old so how many guys like how old are the guys you're competing against over there um i'd say the average age probably around 26 i'd say um most Jesus. guys are usually six to seven years there's just some younger guys too um some guys um, under 23 worlds uh, is what my goal is for upcoming year and for future years. Okay. Um, uh, some of the guys I lined up against um, went to the Olympics in 2008 and 2012, so some of them are much older. Um, I think the oldest guy on our canoe team was 28 years old. Um, I was one of the younger guys. I was the youngest guy on the team. Wait so. a second. So you're going against Olympian, like future Olympians, and you're the youngest guy over there? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Why, try, try to stay humble here, eh? <laughs> yeah. The, um, um, uh, for my C2500, uh, um, both me and my partner, uh, my partner's uh, turned 23 this year. I'm 20 years old. The, uh, the crew we lined up against, the uh, German crew, won uh, – um, was last year's world champions and will probably be 2020 Olympic champions. Okay. Jesus, man. Well, yeah. congrats. I don't, I, I, you didn't make the team yet, but it's looking like that. So I guess I, I, I don't want to say congrats, but 
Yeah, like uh, I have a set of trials in Montreal um, end of June here. That's uh, we'll be racing for that to uh, for selection for U two three worlds. Uh, selection for World Cups was based off uh, trials one in Georgia in April. And, okay, uh, that's how I made that team there. So Jordan was saying that you started canoeing a little bit later in life. Yeah, so I started when I was fifteen years old. The summer when I was uh, summer of twenty thirteen was when I started, which is really late. A lot of people get into it when they're eleven, twelve years old. There's some people like uh, U eleven program mask was massive. You got like eighty kids running around and. And did you control the eighty kids coil? No, I had nothing that, to that do was with not the eighty kids. Job. <laughs> I, I, de- I delegated another coach to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> No, that uh, Cole's job was uh, the deal of the best of the uh, anybody from. Ooh, boy, boy. <laughs> Humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> okay, right on. So you start. What did you do before you got into canoeing? Because I know you're an athletic individual. So what was your sport before all that? Yeah, so I played hockey um, since I was four years old. I okay. actually played high school hockey against your brother. I think Sebastian. I've, I think I've played hockey against your brother almost every single year of. Are my, you serious? Yeah, I, I think didn't know that. I played two years Pee Wee against him, both years Bantam. I think I played. I played two years high school against him. Played Adam against him. I have a picture on my wall of actually uh, me and Sebastian from first year Adam B in hockey uh, in, a tor- <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a tournament up in Thorburn, Nova Scotia, where I don't even know where the hell that place is anymore oh yeah i didn't know that so you're where are you from i'm from bedford bedford okay yeah. so i played uh, bedford minor hockey growing up went to school at cpa okay cool so hockey what else um started playing lacrosse when i was eight years old um absolutely love lacrosse um still play lacrosse for st mary's uh under coach coil here <laughs> oh what coil and um yeah, I um, also was a cross-country runner, um, ran cross-country through high school, did a lot of um, running when I was younger, too. Um, my dad's fiance, um, um, before, um, for 10 years, um, was really into running, so she got me uh, pretty intensely uh, into the sport when she was training for marathons. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. So, Hemi, if I'm correct, when you actually started at Masqua, your dad and Grampy put you into kind of do some summer training for hockey yeah, and get you in so, shape for upcoming tryouts. Uh, that was the whole reason why I started the sport because I was always a smaller kid. Uh, when I showed up to Masco, I might have been 135, like a uh, skinny kid. Uh, was Never really had the size in hockey, um, but uh, my uh, grandpa's friends with a uh, guy, Jerry Miller, uh, his son, Ian, uh, which you know, Coyle, you went to Junior Worlds with him. Who's yeah. that? Who's that? Um, Former Masco athlete. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he ended up, um, uh, my, um, his dad said to my grampy, um, yeah, put your kid in the, or put Brett in the paddling and he'll get in good shape. He'll gain a couple pounds. He'll be ready for hockey trials. I never thought in a million years that paddling would become my main sport. And this would be a sport I'd be representing team Canada for. That's crazy. It goes to show you, if you're just an all around athlete, you can do pretty much anything. You can pick anything up. Absolutely. And, uh, work ethic goes a long way too. Yeah. And uh, I owe a lot of that to uh, Coil over here who taught me how to push myself pretty early when I was young. Uh, those 6 a.m. practices in the cold and uh, weight room sessions, everything uh, taught me how to work hard early on and uh, definitely has uh, helped me go a long way today. So you're in the gym pushing them, eh? Oh, yeah. Or I was in the uh, motorboat yelling at him. The motorboat. Enjo- enjoying my warm Tim Hortons coffee while he worked his tail off. Man, before, did you, were you at Masqua before they did all the renovations? Uh, no, I was not. I've Man. seen pictures of the shack it used to be, but I've never actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. You walk through there with your bare feet, man, you're guaranteed to get a splinter or something. You're, you lean against a wall. I remember, you know, Alex Burke. Yeah. He was, oh, we, yeah. Were, we were unloading a, what's not a canoe, what are they called? Kayak. kayak. We were unloading a kayak and I just shoved it back at him. 
Anyways, I, I don't want to talk about it. It was a bad experience. But anyways, <laughs> tons, tons of shit went down in that place. Um, okay, so you, how did you, actually, that's a great question. I don't even have that written down. What made you decide to go from canoeing to pad or from what made you choose pat, canoeing over paddling? Sorry. Um, canoeing over kayaking. Kayaking, sorry. Um, so I got my boats. Um, I ended up uh, doing like the full summer, doing a bit of both canoeing and kayaking. Okay. And um, Coyle and John convinced me to do fall paddling. And um, pretty much they were kind of leaning towards like uh, you could have a brighter future in canoeer. Like um, uh, there's no right canoers at the club. So I pretty much went over from doing the whole summer on the left to learning how to stay up on the right side. Uh, did a whole complete uh, 180 shift um, just because the club had no right canoers. Like, um, um, there were some left canoers that needed right C2 partners at the time. So I ended up buying a boat, got a paddle, learned how to stay up in two weeks, and then started joining practice with Coil pretty much after. And uh, John and Coil kind of just kept pushing the uh, canoe towards me and uh, definitely happy towards it because uh, I feel like uh, canoeing was definitely more my calling than kayaking. Yeah, you were definitely a natural at canoeing. And for the listeners that – don't know left and right canoeing it's essentially like the same as hockey or throwing a baseball if you're naturally a left you're going to be a left and brett was naturally a left and he actually switched to have a better opportunity and make the team better to the right so imagine he worked his whole summer on getting his balance learning how to steer the boat swimming when the weather was nice and warm and then just as the weather got a little colder we told him he had to switch so he got oh, to spend geez. the next month swimming when the water was not so warm oh, so cold oh my goodness it was uh, i think that's how i became actually learned how to swim a bit because i was a terrible swimmer <laughs> Try, trying to trying to swim after my boat in the lake so it didn't get too far pretty much taught me how to swim for winter that uh, that year because uh i used to do triathlons when i was younger and i was a pretty good runner decent biker but my goodness i could not swim to save my life now i shouldn't pump my tires too much because i'm pretty bad at swimming now too my swimming technique they call me the shamu splash zone but uh, <laughs> at least i can actually kind of move through the water slightly keep, keep your head above and keep the air coming in yeah <laughs> you ever sink a boat or anything like that i remember being out there in the um, summers and sometimes i've never sunk boats. a boat underwater before um i have had my boat be completely full of water and just have the nose sticking up before um <laughs> uh, my very first uh testing as a junior for uh they were doing some uh like national junior camp uh testing stuff over on lake Banook. uh super windy that day and um nobody could turn their boat around the top buoys at lake Banook with the uh headwind coming up that way Water just eventually filled my boat up to where it was just the air pocket and the nose just sticking up. I pretty much uh, two-hand paddled it all the way down the lake when uh, the coach was sending, uh, telling, send no more canoers. There were three of us with our boats underwater, and we're just, we're just trying to make it back in one piece. Man, there's some days in the summer at Maskwell where, like, kids that didn't know how to canoe were out there with the boats, and they'd sink, and they wouldn't know how to, like, re- relate, like, get the boat above water. And, like, there was a guy that we used to work there, Sean, bald head. Oh, oh yeah, guy? yeah, Gibby, yeah, Sean Gibson. You know him? Yeah, yeah. Gibby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he used to flip out at kids. Get that <laughs> boat out of the water. Oh man, oh, yeah, funny times. And then just to add to it, you've got like some psycho beach mom coming up to you, like my kids out there, they can't swim. And you're just like, all right, yeah, like deal with it, woman. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it baffles me. So I, I coach in the summertime too. Oh, and do you? When you get a kid who goes into paddling and is scared of water can't swim it's like uh, what <laughs> C- couldn't register your kid for soccer 
yeah, so Brett's actually, the last couple of summers, you've coached at Masquell as well as being an athlete, which is really cool because when you're, you know, one of the top paddlers at the canoe club, all the kids are looking up to you and everyone's thinking, oh, I want to be the next Timmy. What kind of experiences, like, what do you enjoy most about coaching and kind of getting the next generation of Masquell athletes up and running? Because it's very cool that you're doing that. Coaching's great, but you're also an athlete at the same time. Yeah, like uh, the the part I love about coaching is being able to help younger athletes because they're essentially the future of our sport, future of our club. Like these are the kids that are going to like be the future of either our country, future of our club and that stuff. And I would like to teach them the stuff that has worked for me in, in teach them some of the stuff that hasn't worked for me. Like uh, learn from like the best, in my opinion, the best way to coach is through experience and like um, – like when you've done the hard training, when you've gone through the process of, oh, going through learning how to steer, learning, like tipping all the time in practice, like the most motivating thing I can tell to a 13 year old kid when they're having trouble, if they're balanced or trouble in their steering is that when I was a 15 year old still trying to struggle to keep my balance in the fall, tipping in the cold weather, like you're still three years younger, just learning how to get into the sport. Like you will get this eventually. Like it's a lot easier telling someone to or explaining to them how to do it when you've gone through it and you know, like, like you've, you can connect to them yeah. and it's a bit you can more relate on a personal level. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I so, like yeah, no, it's great. And that, while we're on the topic of mask cause we definitely got to get into more like the racing across the world stuff and yeah. your experiences training, but what's your favorite part about mask I mean, all three of us have spent our summers there at one point or another. Talk about like a better alternative than not going to summer camp, going to Masquall. Because that was the alternative my parents gave me. They were like, you can either go to Mount St. Vincent University and go in a gym all summer, or you can run around with girls your age that are growing boobs <laughs> for the summer. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll go to Masquall. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, it's kind of like a no-brainer. And then your first day at the canoe club, you're like... 12 or 13 years old and there's girls in high school running around and you're yeah. just like oh my god I didn't even know <laughs> girls like this existed yeah, no brainer any kids <laughs> listening out there go to mask wall. but the uh like being outdoors the whole summer is just like you're you're on a lake you're outdoors you're getting in shape like you got people around you you meet a whole new group of friends like like the like the friends that like I've met through paddling like they're like they're gonna be friends for like my life like I've met friends from all over the country like met people from all over the world like it's um, like some of my I have friends from Ottawa now so when I go for training camps up in the Ottawa I went to a men's canoe uh, pre World Cup camp uh, in May and um, there's pre World Cup camps yep um, Jesus and um, I ended up um, like a friend that I made from paddling before um, yeah. from just paddling against them paddling with them in some boats yeah um, I was able to have a place to stay there for two weeks like you meet people from everywhere and it's uh, the paddling community is a very tight-knit community it's very cool. like like everybody knows each other everybody's like everybody's pretty friendly there's not a lot of like bad people there's not a very not a lot of not friendly people in the sport yeah it's well, definitely it's, a very great community it's hard to be pissed off when you're in the sun by the water all day yeah exactly and, and you know. probably got a shredded six-pack yeah tan <laughs> yeah well yeah said. Uh, can't can't complain being uh outside uh all day and uh yeah man absolutely yeah where's some of like the favorite places that you've uh competed at like coil was saying you've been to mexico florida some hot um, places where, where do you like to compete uh, Duisburg was amazing. Where Where's I just Duisburg? Came uh, that was Germany. That's oh, where Germany? I just came back from. That's where my last race was, the uh, last World Cup. Um, just racing there was just like wow. It was like that. It was like that place was built for paddling. 
Was it on one of those? Isn't there such thing as like a man-made lake where people canoe on? I might be wrong here. That's uh, that's um, most of the places in Europe are usually man-made canals. Um, so there's no waves. Um, there's there's like waves from wind, but there wouldn't be any sort of like current, current. per se. I remember like, um, that always being a big thing when I was at Masqua. Like the regattas, there'd be wind coming against you. And people, because when you're younger, no one really knows how to do it. They're just there yeah. for fun, I guess. And oh, people yeah. couldn't oh, keep we, their boats straight. We, we still got lots of wind when, uh, <laughs> when uh, um, Duisburg, it was actually, uh, it was flat as it could be. It was like, there was no wind, super hot, 32 degrees, perfect race conditions. Uh, say again, we had a big old rolling tailwind where um, if it was the other way, I'd probably hate myself and probably my shoulder would tear out because it would be such a hard headwind. Jesus. Yeah, for, so for those listeners that aren't familiar with paddling, a tailwind is nice because it pushes you down the lake, makes your life a lot easier. You get to where you're going quicker. A headwind slows you down, and you have to work that much harder that much longer. So it uh, tailwind's always a nice treat on race day. Yeah, if... Um Definitely a lot nicer if you're thousands around uh, four minutes instead of a headwind that happened in the Dartmouth trials a couple weeks ago where the winning thousand times a 5.12. Yeah, and um, one thing I want to ask you about, Himmy, is what are the fans like over there? Because I know in Hungary, I think paddling is actually their national sport. It is their like, national sport. fans over there. These, these oh, people watch yeah. paddling like we watch hockey. Where, yeah. sorry? Uh, in uh, Hungary. Um, wow. Like, it was uh, the crowds in Seged were wild. There was there was people everywhere. <laughs> oh um, just like that. it was like there's grandstands like you would see almost like on the side of like football stadiums. Like pop up stands, like um, the, like pop up stands yeah. and like big tournament grandstands that'd be there that wow. like just for paddling. And in Seged they were filled. Um, when I was lining up for my C one two hundred race, uh, first time racing in a singles race, um, like on the on the world stage and. I'm also racing 200. 200 necessarily wasn't my event, but still gave her my best shot. But um, racing in the like with everybody watching the 200s, like you have all the fans in the one area. When you're in thousand, um, it's more spread out on the course. You only get the fans in that end. Okay. When uh, you're starting off your 200, you hear absolutely everybody and everything, and it's just the atmosphere is just electric. It's and. Keep, Euro- keep talking. I, yeah. I want to see if I can bring one of these races up on Euro- YouTube. Because European fans in sports in general, like whether it's hockey, we always talk about who is it, the Latvian fans when they came to Halifax for the World Championships, or uh, soccer fans. They're always just going bananas, beating on drums. They've got stupid costumes on. Oh, Were they yes. doing anything crazy like that? Oh, yeah. There was this big drum, and it was just dun, 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 dun. And I was just like trying my best not to have the stroke rate beat as the drum because it was just, it was so loud. It was like... And the, the fans are all screaming. I even signed an autograph when I was in Hungary, too, with uh, for vol- one of the volunteer workers. Not a big deal. What would, I, <laughs> what would I type in to see this place where, like, the pop-up fans are? Like, the um, pop-up stands? Would it if, be? If you search up uh, just Seged, um, one of the Seged World Championship races. I think it's races. S-Z-Z-E-E. E-E. Is that right? Yeah, G-E-D. G-E-D. And then what? Um, canoeing. Um, if, you, if you search up any of the Seged, uh, like World Championship, World Cup races, you can see the fans. Oh, there, look the top. There's actually, right here? yeah, there's the day two highlights. Yeah, maybe oh. we'll see Hemi on the big screen. Oh um, Jesus! Eh, maybe not. Uh, Seged was a bit of a rougher, uh, rougher racing. Um, so this is in Germany. Uh, that's in Seged. Yeah, uh, that's Hungary. Is that what you do there? Like the one pad? You, you do you have a partner when you pad on canoe? Sorry. Um. So um, I did a C one two hundred race in Seged, and then in both Germany and Hungary, I did a C two race uh, with my partner Tom Hall. 
So be- okay, okay. Belly, this isn't Hungary. We went on a boat in Hungary too, but it wasn't going that fast. <laughs> I always one thing I hated about canoeing was my knee. That little you got to put your knee on that sandbag, and my <laughs> knee always slipped off the sandbag, and I couldn't focus on the canoe. Oh, that, that is the shittiest part about war canoe, isn't it? <laughs> oh that, yeah, that, man. When your knee is yeah. on that flat L- wood. Luckily, in the the those type of boats, you got uh, you got a foam block, which is doesn't seem better, but it's significantly oh, better. But um, those uh, whatever's filled with a shredded cork, those buns. Uh, yeah, if I had the paddle on that every day of the week, I feel like I probably wouldn't have a knee anymore. You know what you should do is you should like duct tape it, duct tape it to your knee so it doesn't move anywhere. Just the, just a the thought. You don't have to. The the bun. Um, the bun. They call it bun the bun. Yeah, <laughs> in, in war canoe you get a you get a bun, which is the shitty cork thing you were talking about. Um, in uh, the C1, C2, C4 types boats, you get a block that's screwed in, and uh, it's it's screwed in pretty tight. And I've kind of learned to become comfortable with it. The best canoers in the in the war canoe are they at the back or the front or the middle? Um, it really depends on their size and everything too. Um, so I've always been in the front of war canoes because so I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a smaller guy, and you in the in the front you need someone who can set a, like a um, person in one needs be a set a stroke rate and. Um, at least at our club, we like to have canoers in the front just because they can set the rate. They can set the good. Oh, like, yeah, because the person at the front, everyone has to be in sync with the guy at the front. Yeah. Um, the, the very back of the boat is usually, um, if you have kayakers in the boat, that's usually where they go. Okay. Um, or people who aren't as experienced in war canoe. The middle of your boat, you probably put your biggest powerful guys in there because mm-hmm. you can't put a guy who's 200 pounds in the front of a war canoe. Mm. I want to talk about the beginning of a race and like what's going through your mind because I remember doing this and just being terrified. I don't know why. Because like <laughs> we're at what's the lake in Dartmouth? But no, yeah, the, the regatta. Yeah. Sorry, and I remember doing that and just I wasn't the best paddler, but just being so nervous at that line and looking to the guys to my right, looking to the guys to my left, and they just look like they're ready to go to war. And I'm just there to have some fun, <laughs> get a hot dog, get a tan. So you know, you 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 could be going to the Olympics here soon. What's you know, you work you know, let's say for how many months just for this one race. What's going through your mind? Is it the preparation? Is it all the work? Is it what your coach is telling you? I just try to keep, uh, like, uh, everybody has a different way of mindset. Like, you have some people that will be telling themselves over and over and over again before a race. I try to just keep my mind as clear as possible, try to be confident that I know what I'm doing. I know how the race, like... um, be, I try to be confident that okay, I've done however many thousands, hundreds of thousands before in my life. This one's no different. Just do your thing, do your race plan, and worry about the result later. I find personally, if I worry about the result too much beforehand, mm. that's when I don't have as good as races. Um, so that's when anxiety could creep in almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find I've had my better races when I've almost go in relaxed, like almost not even thinking about it uh, for the most part. Um, my very first set of senior trials last year um, was in Montreal. It was um, first time racing against, um, like I was a junior before that, so I was only racing against people under 18. Um, first year senior, I'm racing, um, going from racing against juniors to Mark Oldershaw, who won a bronze medal in London, lining up next to him for the first time. Um, first, uh, first day of trials, like I did all right. I was uh, third in the B final, which is pretty pretty good for a first year junior um obviously it wasn't what i wanted but um once i had that first race out of the way i wasn't thinking as much i wasn't um stressing myself out over the result too much um we had a second day of trial first day was three thousands a row second day was another three thousands a row which is as painful as it sounds <laughs> um i'm sure coil can uh, what does that re- mean what does that mean that. three for the listeners three thousand um, three thousand so it'd be a heat a semi and a final also three races yeah three races okay. total all so a thousand be, meters long yeah so. 
So you do your heat, and then um, after that, progress through a semi. Um, depending on how many heats and semis there is, it'd be top two or top three, move on to a final, and then um, all the way down to A, B, and then there's C, and then sometimes you have D finals. Um, second day ends up making the A final, and I realized looking across the line, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I am the only one in this race who's never been the Worlds before. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you're like, yes. Like, second you're, time, you're proud like, of yourself. Like, proud of myself, happy to be here. Like, wow, like, this is, this is where I wanted to be was in the A final last year year and just try to give it um, my, my best go but the second day of that trials I was a lot less stressed out than mm-hmm. I was the first day because just not knowing what to uh, expect when you're racing up uh, like senior you go from guys who can go 20 seconds faster than everyone you're used to racing against so Hemi anyone who's coached you or played a team sport with you or trained with you knows you're an absolute workhorse it's no secret when you're lining up for these races does it give you a bit of extra confidence knowing that realistically nobody in that race is going to work as hard as you to get to the finish line like i like to think about it that no matter where i am on the race and i would like my competitors to know that that no matter what goes on in that race i'm not going to give up i don't want i never count myself out of a race until i've crossed that line i never count myself out or never feel not confident that i can do it until that race is actually over and I like to go into every race thinking that I have a chance to win this. Mm-hmm. Like some people go just thinking that, oh, just try to barely make the final. Like just try to do this. Like I like to try to set my goals high. And if you don't reach your goal, you still end up somewhere. If you're going for the highest goal possible, then if you don't reach that goal or you just come up a little bit short, you're still in pretty good territory. Yeah, mm. you're on the dance floor. You might as well try and take the girl home. <laughs> <laughs> you love that, man. You love saying that. That's an coil expression right there. I'm thinking about a thousand meter race. I'm trying to like map out how far a thousand meters is. Like a lot can happen in that race. You can be at the back of the pack and make your way to the front of the pack, right? Do you like pace yourself or anything like that? Um. So my race plan, I'm... I, I know where my strengths and weaknesses are. I know my strengths is my travel speed, my race pace. Oh, you know um, how fast you actually go, like miles per hour? Um, I, I don't know my actual speed, but I can get a gauge to where okay, like, my okay, stroke okay. rate uh, My stroke rate is where I can tell where my speed is. Stroke rate is um, how many strokes you take per minute. Um, that's where I can kind of gauge how fast I'm moving, how fast I'm going. Um, I know my weakness is definitely my starts, um, which is why I've never made a really? good 200 paddler. And my 500s have been like a bit more of a challenge because I'm not as quick off the line as some of the other people. But where my strengths are is in the middle of the race where people start to try to slow down, try to get in the rhythm. As soon as they start to get tired, that's when I try to keep pushing through that. So it's kind of like a blessing in disguise, the fact that you're not that good at starts right away. Uh, somewhat. Um, my, my goal is to work on those starts. So instead of being behind and trying to catch up, being mm. up there, people and using the middle of that mm. race to get ahead. Some people say that in, uh, in like long and track and field when they're doing like uh 1500 meter, like a longer race, they said that they like being in the middle of the pack in the middle of the race. Cause it pushes them to get to the front. And like, if you're in front, you don't really know what's going on behind you. So you just kind of, I don't know. I, I've heard that before from track and yeah. field individuals. Um, so like my kind of strategy is to try to get off that line, try to stay in touch off the line as quick as I can. And after, so after that first 200, most people settle into what would be a travel speed, which is what the pace they go for most of the race. Mm. That's where I try to keep moving, keep trying to push, trying to push that travel speed and try to hold as much as I can. 
um, when I go into a race, I know my strength is athleticism and my endurance, like being like an endurance athlete, like having like a strong athletic background beforehand of running. And I like to push myself in the weight room. So I like to use that uh, to my advantage, being like in better shape than some of the other people to push myself during the middles of those races. And um, for to finish, basically, it's just try to find whatever juice, whatever balls you have left in you to try to finish what do you put in your body before a race like do you got you like uh what are those called those bars um i usually try to eat a lot of chicken and pasta chicken um, and pasta um i try to eat more whole foods and um try to only have sugar just before i'm ready to, bo- to go out i try to keep um like nutrition a bit like hot like I, I keep myself pretty like eat pretty well in the most part anyway but mm. um like before races i'll like keep myself pretty basic food like i wouldn't put as much like if i'm making pasta and stuff like i wouldn't put as much cheese or spices as i normally would um if i'm trying to pretend to be an italian uh, chef back home that's the sacrifice right there man taking (laughs) cheese out of a meal that's the real sacrifice now now that we're on the topic of meals i want to quickly ask about a (laughs) post-race meal because i know like these weekends trials um these world cups and stuff you know they're two three days long and for that whole period of time you're eating extremely healthy. You're really monitoring what goes into your body. And then when it's all said and done, everyone likes to, you know, kick back a little bit and have a nice greasy burger. I know I always yeah. love to go to McDonald's, get a double Big Mac meal, side Big Mac, large milkshake. Maybe that's why I never made it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, do you have a, a post-race meal that you always look forward to, Hemi? Um, if if I can, I absolutely do love steak after a race. Oh, um, come I, on, I do, steak. I do, I do, I do love just, I, I, I absolutely love red meat when it comes to like a nice, if, if I'm really treating myself after a post-race, just make sure I can get uh, protein. If I'm feeling good about myself, get tasty protein. Have you ever um, had a donair poutine before? Uh, yes, from Willie's a few times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be mine right away. I, I, ho- I hope n- no coaches are listening. Himmy loves Willie's. <laughs> oh, I do, I do, I do love Willie's. It's a guilty pleasure of his. Yeah, uh, yeah. I put that down in uh, my bio for uh, for World Cups. Uh, the question was guilty pleasure, and I said pulled pork poutine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pulled pork! I've never tried the pulled pork one. Oh, the pulled, pulled pork is a good th- one. That is uh, that is lethal. I like uh, Smokey's uh, cheeseburger poutine. Call me crazy. I like it with jalapenos. It's a little out there, but it's a great cheeseburger poutine. It's not bad. Cheese, ground beef, jalapenos. It still has the gravy and cheese. It's just a little bit, a little extra. I don't know if I'd ever go to Smokes though, knowing that there's Willie's across the street though. <laughs> yeah, I know Willie's is a household name here. You know what we're gonna do for f- footage? We're gonna go. Uh, like one in the morning, two in the morning to the pizza corner this summer and just interview drunk and just interview drunk people and like talk to them about what they're eating. I'm it'll sure be, that'd be a pretty good video. Actually. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, you, you get your uh, wide variety of people there. Man, drunk people don't like being in front of camera, but drunk people love being in front of the camera. That is true. Uh, yeah. uh, some people who are normally shy are usually a bit out there when they, they've had a few drinks exactly. uh, on the camera, and people that are usually a bit out there, uh, God knows what they're going to do, but that's why you have a camera. Yeah, exactly. you might actually have some footage that'll end up on Barstool. Oh, you never know. Who knows? <laughs> Anything's possible. Right place, right time. I want to talk about these regattas. That was my favorite part about the whole 
paddling experience was the that's, regattas. That's my favorite part too. Is Isn't it? So, so you get your little fold-up chair. You sit under your tent. The barbecue's going. The women are walking. It's a great. <laughs> it's a great experience. What's your favorite experience about the regatta? Like the downtime? Is it the food? Is it the 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 talking to the other paddlers around the world? What's your favorite? Thing? Um, for me, it's just like being a part of the whole thing. Like one of the coolest parts for me going to World Cups was actually watching some of the races. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that, I wasn't in. Like uh, like watching um like even some of the uh, races that weren't even my discipline like um some of the most exciting races were the men's kayak the uh the k4 uh, k4 500s uh which is a fast race for 500 meters it can be over in less than a minute and 20 seconds and uh like the uh, goes down to feet and centimeters and inches to how close it are and um like just w- watching some of those races and just like being a part like being a part of our God, it always feels like you're a part of something bigger. Yeah, like, it does. Like, it's not like you're just competing. Like, um, like you're, it's just like you're, you're an individual, a part of a bigger event, like being a part of like world cups. Like you're like, I was racing C2 500, but that was one race of many races that are going on with a bunch of different people reaching a bunch of different things. And just like being a part of the whole thing was just like, being able to like see different races, see like uh, people from everywhere. Some people that you don't normally get to see. Like um, uh, coolest thing for me was uh, getting to see uh, watch uh, Martin Fuchs race. Um, Who's that? Uh, he's Czech Republic. He won both world, uh, won four gold medals at World Cups. He four. Won, oh, uh, he won. Uh, he won all the C ones. He won every race he's in. He's kind of the uh, superstar of canoeing right now. But just seeing him. Like watching him race in person was just like wow. Like, did you race is, against him? Um, I never got the lineup against him. He was just racing C one uh, five hundred thousand races. I never got the lineup against him. Okay. Um, but um, who knows? Hopefully, one day I'll be lining up and maybe trying to push him. <laughs> so he's like the Crosby of canoeing right now. Uh, he he would be more like the McDavid of canoeing. Right oh, so now. he's the young gun. How old he's, is he? Um, he's twenty five years old. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'd say the Crosby of canoeing right now would be uh, Sebastian Brendel from Germany, a guy who's won worlds past uh, four years or past uh, three years and won the last two Olympic gold medals. So he he'd be more the Crosby because he's been yeah. he's established himself as the top. Um, Canoeer, like being the dominant guy. Um, Fuchs says the up and coming guy that's hopefully trying to take his reign. And speaking of up and coming, Hemi, do you want to kind of give us what your goals are? I know you mentioned U2 Three Worlds, but just kind of map out the next couple years for us because you've got a bright future ahead of you. And why don't you kind of fill the listeners in on what your game plan is and how you're going to get there? Um, so for this year, um, like, or pro- say about halfway done, I guess the, the racing year this year, like world cups are already done. That's a big competition in the season. Um, first set of trials already done. There's a set of trials in Montreal, um, that will be used for selection for U23 worlds and U23 worlds is the goal for this year. That was the goal that I set out at the start of the year was that I wanted to make U23 worlds. I wanted to go represent Canada at that level. Um, world cups was a bit of a stretch goal that I wanted to do. Um, cause world cups was a senior event. They took a senior team for that. And that was, um, that was a goal that I set as something that I wanted to do, but U23 was like the main achievable goal that I wanted to, that I was working towards. Okay. Um, I think that I'm confident that we'll have a good shot. And I think if we race our best race, I think, um, me and my partner and, um, and C2, if we race our best race, I think we can do it. Cool. Um, for future um, 2019, um, there'll be lots of different events. There's Pan Am Games, Senior Worlds, U23 Worlds. Um, my goal, like U23 Worlds is the goal for this year. And it's also, I still have three more years, uh, 
of racing you through fear worlds after this year um the goal is to make you through fear worlds and keep racing at that until i can progress to that senior level where i'm racing at senior worlds or eventually get to being able to be a top guy in the u23 level to move on to a top guy to the senior level you talk about the worlds like it's the highest like thing in racing but like isn't is it the olympics the olympics is the ultimate goal okay the olympics is the ultimate goal but the olympics is also only every four years too how the world is every year? Uh, they have they have world championships every single year. They have world cups every single year. Okay. The Olympic Games is everybody's goal. That's uh, like the most prestigious medal to win is the Olympic medal. Exactly. Yeah. And it's um, like at world championships and world cups and stuff. They have lots of events. And um, to make the Olympics, you have a C1000 and a C2000 race. You have two races. At most, there'd be three guys from Canada that go to the Olympics. Jesus. Three guys. And you could. That's incredible. Three um, guys. That'd be awesome. You could get that uh, nice Olympic ring tattoo. <laughs> where, where are the Olympics at the year you are potentially um, So going? 2020 would be, that'd be a, a stretch goal to go try and make 2020. Uh, okay. 2024 would be like, I'm not planning on quitting paddling anytime soon or slowing down. I'm, I'm planning on going full speed ahead with a head full of confidence right towards it until I... Uh, yeah, um, no and, duh, man. Of and course. Then, and then, until, until I burn out, basically. Yeah, man. But, um, like, uh, 2020, I'm still going to be working my ass off trying to go f- towards that. If I don't make 2020, um, it's still not going to stop me because 2020 isn't the end goal for me. My end goal is for be 2024, beyond 2020 is what I'm yeah. working towards. But 2020 is still a possibility. Who knows, right? Yeah, 2020 is still a possibility. But there's, I'm still, I'm still 20 years old. There's still guys who are older than me who are still much faster. But um, the way I keep, um, I've gotten faster every single year. I've, I've only started the sport five years ago, and yeah, man, I've am where I am today right now, and I've gone on a progression curve that a lot of people probably wouldn't see coming, and the reason why a lot of people don't see coming because I feel some people don't work as hard as me. Some people don't like to push themselves or make the sacrifices that they need to do. But I realize that if you want to do extraordinary things, you got to do the extra that nobody else is willing to do. Coil, man, get on him in the gym. Put that extra <laughs> rack of weight on. Get going. And I, I, spent, I, I spent a couple of years doing that to him. <laughs> and get the whip. Got got him started. I'll be a special guest coach when he goes to the Olympics in 2024. Where are they anyways? Uh, 2024, I believe, would be Paris. Ooh. Oh, nice. Bye, we, bye, we. That'd be uh, good. T- yeah. Uh, 2020 is Tokyo. Like, obviously, I'm going to be working full speed towards oh, 2020. Tokyo would be so sick. I'd love to get over there. I um, But I, I owe my a big part of how where i am and my work ethic to the man you're sitting beside right there are like, you serious this guy yeah jesus you guys boy. are making me blush humble brag eh <laughs> but um like and it's i'm not just saying it just because he's right beside me on the show there like i've said um multiple bios and everything that i've put jordan coyle is my role model right there just by the way he's pushed me and how he's made me become a better athlete, not just a better athlete, but a more focused and more driven person everywhere that I am. That a boy, Coyle. Well, I really appreciate that, Himmy. I'm just glad I could be part of it because you're definitely, uh, you've got a really bright future ahead of you and we're looking forward to watching what's what's to come, not this summer, but in the future summers. Yeah. 
So what do you do? What's what's your plan for this summer coming up? Uh, you, any vacation going anywhere? What's your routine like? What time are you waking up in the morning to train? Give me a little, the next three months, I guess. Um, so a pretty typical day right um, like during this time of the year. Um, for the month of June, I'll be waking up every morning um, anywhere between 6 to 7.30 in the morning for a practice. You go to Masqua to practice? Um, so as of right now, I'm going to Masqua right now. Uh, before World Cups, I was training in Ottawa for two weeks. Okay. Um, I did a training camp there. Um, so when I got home from Georgia... I was home for probably about uh, 48 hours until they uh, invited me to a training camp up in Ottawa um, to go train. Um, before I was training for my coach, uh, John, who um, coached alongside Jordan, um, I was uh, working with him. And then um, eventually um, I started uh, working with uh, Andreas Dittmer, who's a new national team coach. Um, Andre? If, uh, if you look at uh, him on uh, YouTube, uh, he's three-time Olympic gold medalist. He's won eight world championships. He's... Uh, his uh, his resume says it all. And um, should I pull him up? Is he that impressive? He is. He is that impressive. He is. I'd uh, like to see this. Then does does he have like a short race? Would it be like a short video. Andre, um, what's his last name? Andre is uh, Dittmer. Um, so an A S at the end of Andreas. A S. E A S. E A S. And then how do you spell his last uh, name? Dittmer. D I T T. Right there. Yeah. You know he's good one. Okay, let's watch a short one. Um, oh, that's slow motion. What's his race? Um, that uh, 2000 Sydney Olympics uh, C1000 final is where he ended. Uh, that's where he won the C1000 gold medal. Is that him there? Uh, that's, that's Steve, Steve Giles. Giles. He's, uh, he's a Canadian. He got a bronze medal um, in this race here. Uh, he's, uh, he's a role model for all Canadian canoers anywhere. Local legend. See, like right here is where I'm just – look pa- at that. He paddled that Arenda Canoe Club where I uh, grew up paddling. Not a big deal. Did he? Did he ever – did he ever – was he ever at Masqua? When I was younger, there was a big shot there, and like all, I remember all the car sponsors used to come and like take pictures with him by the car. Forget his name though. Maybe it was Dimitri. You think you said his name was? Yeah, there would have been like Dimitri, Mark DeYoung, um, Steve Giles probably spent some time out there because I know Dimitri was one of the top canoers as well. Yeah, there was definitely some big wigs there. Which guy is he right now? Is he in front? Um, that would be Maxime Opalev in front, I believe. There. Man, you know your canoeing history. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's Opalev right there. Man, look at like that, like just the human body is incredible. What that's able to do, like look at him, he's stretching all the way out, like a meter past his leg, and just pulling back on water, making a boat go forward. Look at that. Look yeah. at that power. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to stand next to him on a beach. Like, how fast do you think he's going there right now? Like twenty miles per hour. Uh, he, he's he's moving at a pretty good pace, but you're going to see pretty quickly uh, he's going to die off in that race. Oh, he's, this guy doesn't win. No, that's uh, it's the guy in the black boat uh, who's my coach right now who ends up winning this race here. See, it's crazy. Like, remember what you were talking about before? Like, I'm not the best off the start, but my strength is in the middle. So you're almost like your coach because it seems like his strength is in the middle right now. Yeah. Now he was also he's also won world championships in the 200, and he also won a medal in the 500 too. He's he's he is the greatest canoer of all time as, as we speak right now. And he's your coach. Yeah. How fortunate are you to have that? I'm, guy as uh, a I'm coach beyond uh, fortunate, and um, I'm beyond happy to be working on his program. I've been working on his program for a month now, and it's been working uh, really well for me. Um, I feel like I've definitely improved because of it, and um, definitely just like when he talks, like he knows his stuff. He's done like everything you can in the sport. Like he knows, like his his knowledge is beyond, um, like. Uh, just remarkable and that must give you quite a bit of extra confidence as an athlete because literally no matter what the situation that you could potentially be in during your career 
this guy's already been there, done that, yeah. and can help you along the way to get through any obstacles or guide you through, you know, any new things that come your way. Yeah, like uh, kind of like what we we're talking earlier about, um, like, um, like to a smaller scale. Like, obviously, like um, me coaching the U thirteens. Yeah, like, I was gonna say they yeah. look at me as a role model. Like being coached by Andreas, like that's the guy who I see as a role model. That's the guy who I see as like a canoeer who I want to be like. That's cool. That's like yeah. it's a, it's like a full circle thing. It's like you look up to him, and then these kids look up to you, and then eventually one day you might be the new Andre, and yeah. then you'll help a kid your age right now. Full circle, circle of life. Yeah, that's so, really cool. One thing you mentioned, Timmy, is uh, your training camps, and I want to ask you about the Florida training camp because I know you're on the water two to three times a day, like two just three. working your tail off. You're out running, but in the downtime or days off it's a pretty unreal situation. Like you're in sunny Florida with your friends, everyone else is back home shoveling snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, you have some free time yeah. on your hands, have a little bit my, of fun. Uh, my favorite time of the year, my dad's least favorite time of the year. When uh, he has to, when he has to snow blow and shovel the driveway instead of me for a change, yeah, his contractor goes out of town. Oh yeah. My, uh, um, my, uh, my dad, um, we, uh, it was a weird winter this year. We didn't have much snow in uh, January, February. I kind of got off easy with, uh, only maybe shoveling three, four times. Yeah. Uh, apparently the month of March came and, uh, he was like, where were you when all this, uh, snow happened? Yeah. Brian's going to be putting a plow on the front of the Jag for next year. But what I wanted, <laughs> what, what I wanted to ask you was, do you have any funny stories from this year's Florida camp or any cool experiences that kind of happened when you were off the water i know that you know florida's a beautiful place there's tons of nice beaches beautiful oh like just just being in the sun in general like i lived uh like i was a three minute walk from the beach like it was like got wednesday afternoon off practice and you're like okay let's go lay down sleep on the beach a bit hop in the water a bit and just like be around in the sun the um the last uh two weeks i was in uh, the first uh month i was in florida i ended up living with my coach um I, uh, that was a good decision for me because I also was doing four classes in school down in Florida this year. Um, I decided to take a heavy, heavier course load this year. I went down to Florida a bit later than I normally would this year um, to finish my midterms beforehand. Oh, you um, did your schooling in Florida? I, I did all my school. Uh, I did four classes, almost a full course load in Florida this Dude, year. Dude, that's incredible. That's like the dream right there. You're and, essentially um, working abroad. I was... Uh, <laughs> I was uh, able to do four online courses. Uh, I wrote all my exams down there. Uh, SME was able to, I was able to find a proctor, um, get all my exams accommodated and looked after. And um, Shout out to SME. And um, yeah, that first month, um, dur- like the first month um, during my free time, like with four courses, I was obviously working a lot like uh, during the middles of the days, like I wouldn't be napping three hours like I did the year before. I'd be napping two hours and doing <laughs> school for an hour. <laughs> Um, but, um, the last like two weeks I, uh, moved in with a couple, uh, my friends from, uh, Mississauga and, um, we, uh, we were able to do like a lot of cool stuff there. Like, uh, we had this game, it was called like spike ball, bought it at the Cocoa beach, uh, Ron John. It was like with like almost like a mini volleyball and you just throw it down in on the that trampoline the, thing. Yeah. Like, uh, we played that on the beach, uh, like many times, like that was a lot of fun. Uh, don't know how many times 
We had uh, spiked the ball down and we would hit some old lady walking down on the beach, knock the hat off her head with the ball. Um, <laughs> she probably doesn't remember. She's retired and old. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, you definitely got a few hooligans on the beach, probably us being included, uh, especially in that area where you're, if you're around Cocoa Beach. and uh, Cocoa Beach, I don't know it, but I like the name of it, Cocoa Beach. Uh, yeah, that's where uh, that's where Ron John is. and uh, Oh, that he, surf company, Ron John. Yeah, okay, you, cool. uh, you get some tourists around there, but the... Um, I got to say, it's probably a funny story from Florida this year. Um, it was when I started doing practices with uh, Dittmer and the uh, the national team. Um, we did um, we did like a longer workout, and instead of doing a run, we ended up playing beach volleyball after. Love it. And um, we ended up splitting up in teams, and our, uh, this is like my first time meeting Andreas, and Andreas just happened to be the best volleyball player out in the court by a long shot over everyone <laughs> telling us where to go with positions and everything like uh i was just like this guy is like he's just an all-around athlete in general and that was where i really kind of got to meet him and he was like i didn't really know much about him before like um or like i obviously i knew what he did in canoeing but i didn't know like like who, like who he really was and like he just he was just such a nice guy. He was like very, uh, very welcoming to uh, the newer guys in the group, um, and um, definitely like made us all kind of feel like we were all a part of the team there. Cool. It's cool that you got to play a sport with him. You know, that's a great way to bond with somebody. After playing a sport with somebody, you become a better friend, or you get to know them a little bit better. It's like the ultimate way to grow, grow. Yeah, to bond. Or just like us. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know yeah. you until lacrosse, and then came friends exactly no it's it's great and i mean that just goes back to how great sport is um so when you guys are in florida gonna go back to florida here quickly but do you guys you know you spend a lot of time on the beach does any of that coincide with the american spring break oh yeah um, good question so our area, you, <laughs> you, uh, you, you, you he's blushing you got a girlfriend right now i do yes. uh, yeah okay uh, here we go here's the answer yeah so um <laughs> you um for uh, American Spring Break, it's it's pretty big down in those beach areas like Cocoa Beach. You get uh, you get some Americans. Uh, if you really want to go party at Spring Break, you go up to Daytona. Daytona. Um, yeah, especially at Daytona 500 time. You're uh, if uh, you want to party, that's the place to go. Um, down in Florida, like some people do some partying. Uh, some people are able to go. I'm I'm not able to drink in Florida because I'm under 21. Oh yeah, it's yeah. 21 there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, carry like, around one of those big bubble cups, those big bubbas. What are they called? Yeah. The jugs. Oh, no, it's just lemonade, officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously, when you're down in Florida, like like there's lots of opportunities where you can go to party and like with spring break and everything. Yeah. Um, but you also got to keep in mind that what you're actually down there to do, too. Like you got to compete. Like we're down there for a training camp. Like uh, last thing you want to do is show up to a practice. If you're hung over to a practice, uh, that's uh that's only just going to hurt you in the long run because honestly, nobody else gives a shit. So yeah, yeah. that's the thing about like the sport you're in, like it's some of the best weather. You said you were down in Georgia too, right? Uh, that's where uh, trials one was in Georgia and it was freezing. Oh, was there. it? Oh my goodness. First day of racing. It was three degrees. Oh, that would suck on the wind as you're paddling oh, hitting your face. Oh my goodness. I was like, we have trials down here to avoid the cold. And it was, it was like 12 degrees in Halifax that day. And it was three degrees in Georgia. It just Georgia. didn't make any sense. Do you ever have any good barbecue down there? Um, we, so when I was in Georgia, I lived in a big house. Uh, it was a gigantic mansion. It was amazing. Humble. Um, with uh, 13 people. Um, <laughs> 
which um, definitely uh, definitely cheap and definitely uh, economical. Um, bit tricky when you got thirteen people in one house all trying to get ready for for trials, but. Yeah. Um, like uh definitely was able to make some good meals there um my uh my training partner from the fall uh, on in the Gulak, who, um uh jordan coached for a while too who uh, also works super hard like uh she's also a good friend of mine too we became uh, meal partners making uh trying to make the best uh, pre-race meals that we can and uh also try not to burn down the kitchen at the same time yeah yeah she's got a very bright future ahead of her as well that's for sure yeah what's her name Anna Nagulik. Anna yeah. Nagulik. Yeah. Shout out to Anna. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'll definitely need to tell her about that so she can uh, see the podcast. <laughs> well, she'll be watching just to say, hey, what's up to the camera? Every so what, download counts. Yeah. yeah. So did you have good barbecue down there, though? Um, so I was really pissed off that our first house in Florida, which we had the last few years, didn't have a barbecue. Oh. Um, that was the one thing our house didn't have. Um, um, I ended up, uh, when I was in Ottawa, actually, um, I did a lot of barbecuing. Interesting. Um, um, it was uh, pretty nice out some days. I uh, made homemade burgers. Um, so uh, Coyle mentioned funny Florida stories. Um, I got one from my second year Florida 2015 uh, barbecuing burgers. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was 16, 17 years old at the time. Uh, my roommate uh, Adam Scott. Um, it was both of our nights. To, actually, this might have been my first year Florida. Um, so this is my first time living on my own, um, like not having my parents around, like having to like cook for myself, really like do everything kind of living on my own. Like yeah. I was gone for three weeks and uh, I remember me and Adam tried to make burgers and <laughs> we, uh, we're cooking outside and we have to cook for 21 people in the house. <laughs> Whose um, idea was that? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So we uh, so second year we had twenty one people in the house. Uh, I think first year there was fourteen of us. Okay. And uh, we all had to cook. Uh, so every uh, so there'd be cooking groups of four to five, and we'd cook one day of the week. Um, and uh, me and Adam, uh, our other two roommates, I think they uh, went out shopping. They did something else during the day. Me and Adam cooked burgers, and we accidentally dumped a whole two liter of barbecue sauce into the burger hamburger meat <laughs> oh so that sucks yeah like <laughs> it was it was an a expensive big, mistake big big <laughs> bottle and this like this isn't just a little bit of hamburger meat where you go to the store and grab new meat this was enough meat for 21 people that's like for that's burgers like not 21 people like 21 paddling people that's like 500 dollars worth of meat it sounds like it was a, a ridiculous amount of meat and we were only <laughs> supposed to pour a little bit of the bottle in the bottle fell over sauce everywhere and we just got these burgers that are just absolutely drenched and we're just trying our best trying to salvage them we're making them outside and then leap like because we're just supposed to have the meat out make the patty put the barbecue sauce put them on it's supposed to be a quick thing we get the burgers out there for that long there's trees around you got leaves you got like those little <laughs> helicopter flying things falling into the burgers and stuff like i remember i bit in the one burger and there's one of those shitty helicopters from the trees into the burger i was like oh my <laughs> goodness this is an absolute disaster live and learn 16 you said that happened to yeah. you uh, yeah yeah i was uh, i was pretty young then and you know i'll, I'll uh, i learned how to cook slightly better now i was gonna um, say whoever I, put I don't you in uh, i don't I, at least i don't mess up in the kitchen anymore i uh i'm not gonna say i'm a chef boyardee by any means um, but i'm not making chef boyardee <laughs> uh, anymore in florida so that's hilarious good story i got well i want to ask you about advice for the youth, but if you have another question, Coyle, we can we can save that for the end. We're almost Jesus. We're almost at an hour. 
Time flies, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, honestly it felt like it's twenty minutes. You can kind of. How, how long? How long? If you didn't look, how long would you have thought that you were sitting there? I would said probably about thirty minutes. I'd say. Yeah. Just probably about looking at the Gatorade, yeah. the Powerade bottle, taking <laughs> sips every four <laughs> minutes. I'd say. Yeah, she flies by. Do you have anything else, Coyle? Because I'm going to ask about the youth. It's all about the youth. So no, you you give him. That's a really good question. Okay, I'm going to ask him about the youth. All right, Brett. If you had to give any advice to the youth coming up canoeing in because uh, you know i always like to i love two sport athletes i know hockey is so dominant here in nova scotia canada in general and canoeing you know i'm sure you can agree it's not the mainstream sport here in nova scotia or canada so if there was any youth listening uh, and you wanted to convince them to, to join your sport what would you say to them and uh, try to convince them to come over well, paddling is a great sport for multiple reasons. One, you're outside all day. Everybody loves being outside all summer. Um, two, you meet a whole new group of friends that even if you don't stick with the sport, like if you like don't stick with the sport past your 16, 17, you're still going to have those friends for life. Like you're at the like when you're paddling, you're at the canoe club all day. You're with your friends like you're outside, you're swimming, you're 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 not just like paddling, like practicing the whole time. Like some of the best parts of the summers as a canoe club is just like hanging out, just like laying down and like playing bump on the, uh, on the basketball court. Uh, oh, very yeah. popular thing for anybody under 13. I think those, uh, um, I think that's all they pretty much do in their spare time is play <laughs> bump. Um, I have a nice big advantage because I'm probably about a foot taller than all of them. So there you I go. can, uh, anytime that I miss my uh, three point shot trying to be Steph Curry, I can just do a nice layup <laughs> on the uh, six foot net at Masqua. But um, like uh, the thing that I would say to anybody who's like thinking of joining paddling or like thinking of like whether or not to become a high performance paddler, stick with it, is that just like don't let like don't think of it as paddling as everything at that point like I was able to play hockey up until I was 18 years old um, with paddling and like I was still able to be a multi-sport athlete and still able to do like I still had a like social life and everything like some people think with paddling that you need to give up absolutely everything for it mm. but like when you're that young and when you're still like under 15 and stuff like enjoy the parts that you might not get when you're older like enjoy being like relaxing in the summer like having fun like if you're if you're like uh, if you're a 13 year old like yes like you're competing and stuff and paddling but like some of the best parts is just like hanging out the regatta with your friends all day it is and like like my advice is just keep enjoying that too like if you want to still play hockey like go play hockey like you can still like do like i like some of the kids that i coached last year like they play hockey in the fall and winter to come back join paddling in the spring yeah like and the kids that love being at the club and love paddling all day, those are the kids that are the ones who are going to go past the sport when you're 16, 17, because it's a very hard sport to be in if you don't like it and you're not enjoying it. Oh, yeah, it is. Because early mornings, like it's hard to get up and do something you don't want to do. I'll be the first to admit, I don't like I don't like getting up at six in the morning when it's a little bit cold out to go do a 15 K steady, slow paddle in the morning. But that's that's not the part of the sport that you need to focus on and see like that's like the enjoyable part of the sport is the stuff that almost just comes along with the sport. Mm -hmm. Like the friends, like the cool places you get to go to, like the awesome like experiences, like and like if you, you love all that and you love doing the sport, like that's what's going to take you far. Yeah. Is, like it's it's not just giving up the rest of your life for 
paddling because people who seem to do that too early are the ones who fall off. Turn, turn out burning out before they're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Well said. That's great advice. And him, he's definitely a guy who's got to have his cake and eat it too with a lot of success in the sport. He's extremely dedicated, but he still makes time for other sports and his friends and has a lot of fun. So, I mean, that's absolutely commendable. And I definitely really admire that about you, Himmy. Um, I've got a quick question here for you. Now, I know you've got a really busy summer ahead of you. Um, You've got some aspirations for U23 Worlds and whatnot. This fall, you've got a big fall with St. Mary's Lacrosse, which we haven't really touched on. Mm -hmm. But just quickly, I want to ask, is that something you think about during the summer or when paddling ends and lacrosse starts, are you just able to flip that switch? Like, what's going on in your mind? Because we're talking about multi-sport athletes, and Brett still is a multi-sport athlete, and he's extremely successful in both sports. Well, like, for me, um, like, I, like, SMU lacrosse is one of the funnest parts of the year for me. Like, it's something that I always look forward to. Like, it's, like, like in, in the summer, like, of course, that's, like, that's when I'm starting to get excited. I'm like, okay, like, that's, like, I always have lacrosse stick in my hand anyway, even when I'm not, like, I used, I used to play, uh, like, junior A box. Uh, I played two years of it. Um, I'm unable to do that anymore because I'm, fully committed to paddling during this is the heat of the paddling season Mm. i'm unable to play box anymore but i'm always itching to go play lacrosse and play field like i still have my stick in the hand i'm still tossing the ball with my buddies just like uh, i always would and like um just like how at the end of winter training i'm always itching to get back in the paddling season because Mm. getting back into like race season like obviously right now paddling is my 100 percent focus that's what i train towards that's what i'm working towards right now but um like when the time like paddling season's over like that that's i i get excited to go play for smu lacrosse like that's what i like i have goals towards that too i want to win that muffle trophy more than (laughs) just about anybody on that field that gigantic trophy which god knows what you can fill up with you appreciate each sport more like when i play hockey and when lacrosse season started i just couldn't wait but if you're playing hockey all year it's like i'm playing hockey all year but when you make that switch over to the second sport you're like let's go all in exactly because it's something different you have a new group of guys you're doing a different sport you do different type of practices like like one like one of my favorite parts about like paddling is almost that like being able to that little bit of break of from paddling, um, like after um, last competition of the season, whatever it might be, um, most of the times it's nationals. Mm. Like once you have that three four week break, um, like during that break is when I usually get into the swing for school. And the last couple of years has been spinning lacrosse, mm. but having that bit of a break, being able to do another sport makes you miss what you were doing all summer a little bit more it makes you more motivated Mm -hmm. like after three weeks off the water i'm like okay i'm ready to go i want to get back into this and just like after being like off playing uh not playing lacrosse for um 10 months i'm like okay i am dying to play lacrosse now i want to go whack some people with my long (laughs) (laughs) well well said all right, let's uh, let's wrap it up here, dude. Thanks for coming. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, thank Brett. you very much for uh, having me out. I uh, definitely uh, enjoyed this time. I uh, appreciate Coil for coming out too. Appreciate for having me on the show. It was uh, um, definitely uh, love to come out whenever time uh, willing to have me. Love it. All right, Coil, Brett, once again, thanks for coming out, fellas. All the listeners, I appreciate the support. It has been tremendous recently. Um, If you could go to all the social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, comment, like, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I love each and every one of you. Thank you very much. High button note.